where all my children are the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors, all we know is to fight, pray, they see God and everything I write here. First, I heard today is a very special day. <laughs> I cannot believe you're doing this on your birthday. Happy birthday, Melody. Oh, Austin. thank you. My quarantine birthday. I know. <laughs> what are you going to do? Nothing. What What do you mean? What am I going to do? Can we Can we have do? some wine? Can we have some champagne? Can we toast through the screen? Can we sing the Stevie Wonder version? Can we I'll do like a line dance? to you right now. <laughs> we it's got so, to. Listen, I have it so much better than so many people, so I'm so grateful. But, you know, this is not to me like one of these big celebration modes. Yeah. I'm happy to be alive. Yes. So grateful. But, you know, head down, just doing what we got to do. Yeah. Um, I hope that you are able to stay healthy and well and um, that you're able to do something fun and relaxing because you work so hard for us. For those of you who do not know, um, this is a master class with um, someone who I greatly admire, have admired from afar for so long. Um, Melody Hobson is a financial guru. She's been advising so many of us through the pages of magazines that we read and radio shows we listen to, like Tom Joyner up until last year, um, sits on boards that, you know, of companies where we all um, consume their products or we bank with them. And more than anything else, um, a philanthropist that gives back to people who look like us and are trying to do great things with their lives every single day. Um, so it was just an honor earlier this year um, when I got to meet you at Angela's cycling class. Um, <laughs> and then just to be able to sit down with you since then has been such a joy. So first, thank you so much for joining me on your birthday. It will not air on, on your birthday, but they can still celebrate you all month long and all year long. So thank you, Melody. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Boy, do we miss being in that spin class. Oh, man. <laughs> and Army is so good. You know, it's so funny. Angela did a master class with me that was boot camp. We taped yesterday. Melody, I have not been working out. When I tell you I am inching along here, like I am sore. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sore. It's so bad. I'm like, I'm out of shape and I've been eating real good in here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said to my team the other day, we started a step challenge in Ariel. And yeah. I said, I got two questions for you. You coming back fat or fit? Simple. You were like, you got two Back options. Have you been working out every day? I have been really hard. <sighs> Many. Yeah, hard. hard. How do you just like, from the, so before we get into all the financial stuff, how do you keep it together? Like, I feel like there's not anything that you do poorly. In fact, you know, Angela says all the time, the way you do one thing is the way you do all things. When I think of that saying, you two are probably the first people that come to mind. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm walking around here with all kinds of hypocrisy. Like, it is not, that is not my truth, right? So I want to know how you do that. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I, um, I just have always been really disciplined and focused. And I need the adrenaline in the morning. Mm -hmm. I need those endorphins to get my brain to work. I don't feel as good without it. Mm -hmm. And so I have to be, I, I need the time. Yeah. So if I can't spin. I have a Peloton, but I don't like it as much as being inside of a spin class. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I do the treadmill, I do the Versa climber, I do the Stairmaster. They're all hard. Um, but I really do commit myself to that. It's really just, I do it for me. It's my own time in my brain in the morning, really early. Wow. What time do you get up? Well, I have to tell you with the, I have a different coronavirus wake up hour. Mm. Now I'm waking up a little bit later. So right now I'm waking up and getting in the gym by five, but normally I do four. <laughs> Did you see my face? I'm like, okay, Melody. I'm like, I'm getting up at seven forty-five. Like, I'm, <laughs> yes, and staying up till two. I'm like, my hours. Are oh so- yeah, I, I can't do late. I'm one oh. of those people I can't do. I'm not. They say, are you a lark or an owl? I'm a lark. I'm definitely an owl. Like, yeah. I'm like, it, by nine o'clock, I'm like, hey, where's the party at? And I'm already like tucking myself in. <laughs> Okay, I get it. I get it. Um, so we talked about your birthday. I also want to ask you how many jobs you have. You have so many jobs, I feel like. You have all the jobs. Well, it's it's funny. Technically, I've only ever had one job. I've only worked at Aerial Investments my entire career. And yeah. I went there when I graduated from college in 1991. And they say I'm the only person from my graduating class from Princeton who has had the same work phone number since 1991. Wow. I'm the only person out of 1,100 people. I well, when I think about... All the jobs I have, I have a lot of jobs. I was going to say, you said technically. I was like, let's get, let's dig into that technically. (laughs) (laughs) That's the technically in terms of the, what my business card says. Yeah. But in terms of all the other things I do, I um, sit on a couple of boards. I'm vice chair of Starbucks Mm -hmm. and I'm on the board of JP Morgan. Mm -hmm. And I, um, and that's, this morning, for example, we had a JP Morgan board meeting. My time, it started at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. So you asked why I wake up early. Yeah. Um, and then I um, I uh, run a big nonprofit in Chicago as the chair called After School Matters, which is the largest after school program in the world for students. We serve somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 30,000 students a year. Mm-hmm. We're the largest employer of teens in Chicago every summer last year, just under 14,000 teens wow. work for us. So very, very big. And then I have like, so we're building a museum in LA that I've been chairing with my husband. I mean, we just have, there are a lot of jobs, but you know, I enjoy it all. Yeah. I've done a lot, obviously in media for a long, long time, ABC, then CBS. I mean, just so many things. Tom Joyner just ended which was so sad. I did that for so many years. Mm-hmm. So and that's the thing. I wonder if like people watch this and be like, oh, that, that's Melody, right? Like <laughs> no, you, did, you used to do something for Black Enterprise too, right? Yeah, I still write for Black Enterprise. Yeah, I went right for Black Enterprise. I mean, we do a lot of things. So, so that's yeah, where I, I first saw you and I was like, oh, I need to learn money. Shamefully, Melody, I have not learned money yet. So we need to dig into that. Well, that's what we're here to talk about. Yes, it is. So I want to, um, first, I just think that because you're such a financial guru and advisor and know like managing assets for municipalities and all of these things that you guys do and pensions and all, like all the things that and are individuals and individuals, and individuals yes. this would be cool funds for any person who has as little as $50 a month. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, so that's, that's a good place to start. But I think that for a lot of us, and I'll just, I'll own this for sure. Like you start talking about saving and um, relationships with money, just like my shoulders get tense and I'm like, oh my God, because there's so much to unpack. It is truly psychological. And I think one thing that would be super beneficial 
um, to those of us who have not, you know, been in um, a career where we're managing money or doing any of that to talk about your own um, financial narrative, your own relationship with money growing up. And then for people to see how much it shifted as you've gotten older is, is tremendous. So if we could talk a little bit about that, that would be awesome. Well, I've told this story many times that it's no accident that I work in the investment business because when I was younger, really when I was a child, I was desperate to understand money, desperate. And I tell people, I put the emphasis on understand. It wasn't make it. It was to understand it. I thought if I understand how money works, I'll be fine. Mm. Because when I was growing up, I was the youngest of six kids and I was really young in my family. My older siblings are a couple decades older than me. Mm-hmm. And so they often told me I wasn't planned and sometimes told me I wasn't their sibling um, to just really get in my head. But um, my mom was a single mom and she worked really, really, really hard. But we just oftentimes were in very tough financial situations. And so we were the family that had the check on the wall at the grocery store that bounced where you saw your own name. Um, we were the family that got evicted or, you know, often got our phone disconnected or our lights turned off. And we sometimes lived in my mom. She was in the real estate business and she'd have these abandoned buildings and we'd lived in parts of them where we'd heat up water on hot plates and things like that. So I really spent a lot of time in my head thinking about money Mm. and my mom never hid anything from me, which was a blessing and a curse. But it was actually ended up being a blessing. So I knew when we were in a tough situation, she never, ever, ever sugarcoated it. And so as a result of that, I ended up being an intern at Aerial Investments between my sophomore and junior year at Princeton. Mm -hmm. And I knew I found the career for myself because I wanted to understand how it worked. I wanted to make sure that I had that understanding so that I could be financially secure. Mm. And that was really the, the, the impetus for my journey. And then once I got all of the understanding about how the financial system works, how money can work for you or work against you for you in terms of compound interest being one of the greatest things ever, Warren Buffett, the greatest investor of all times, called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. Mm. When you're, can be, you can be gaining interest on top of interest, that's an amazing thing. But how interest can work against you with high credit card debt and things like that, where you find yourself not able to dig out of a hole. Mm-hmm. So once I got all of those foundational learnings together, I became obsessed with the idea of teaching. Yeah. And I'm like this financial evangelist because of it, wanting to explain to people what I learned so that they can lead a better life. Because one thing I know for sure, money becomes the shortage of money, the lack of it ultimately affects your health. It makes yes. it affects your mental health. It's something that is hugely, hugely debilitating when, when you are fretting about it. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's so true. It's, um, it's interesting now to see the number of people who, as we now kind of touch on what's happening with the stimulus package, with the CARES Act, the number of people who are like, when do I get this check again? And then like the comments I'm getting now, Melody, I'm not the financial expert, but they expect me to know the ins and outs of like legislation. What's going on? How does this impact us? When am I going to get my check? And somebody sent a message yesterday saying, I'm a dependent um, for my parents, which means I'm not going to get any of this money. I'm not eligible. And I'm like, oh, my God, there are all these young people now that are just realizing like this money they thought was going to, you know, kind of hold them over. They're not going to see. No, if you're a dependent um, and someone claims you on their tax returns, you don't get 
a separate check. You and don't. you think about the number of young people for years, especially in our community, who work jobs to help their parents pay bills, like they're depending on that, speaking of being a dependent. So that part I thought was really um, fascinating for you, Melody, because you, you know, like the narrative of money. Um, how much does this situation remind you of the economic downturn in 2008? There are similarities, but it's very, very, very different. Yeah. So 2008 was a financial crisis that was created um, by our financial system. Mm -hmm. This is a financial crisis that is born out of a health crisis. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, it's also a, a situation where this financial crisis is born out of the fact that in order to wait, the only way to the deal with the health crisis is to completely stop our financial system. So it has been purposefully ground to a total halt. Yeah. It's interesting. Ben Bernanke, who was the former chairman of the Fed, wrote his um, PhD on the Great Depression. And he came out with an uh, article recently where he said, this is not like the financial crisis. It's more like a natural disaster. Yeah. The economy has fallen off a cliff. So think of like a tsunami or a major, major snowstorm where everything stops. Nothing can move. Mm -hmm. That is more akin to what has happened. So the economy has fallen off a cliff because nothing can move. And our goal right now, especially with the $2 trillion stimulus, is to build a bridge that will get us to the other side. So it's, it, it, it will recover and it will recover once we can get the machine moving again. That doesn't mean there won't be damage and pain in between. And my hearts are going out for what this feels like. I do know. And so the question is, what kind of stimulus, what kind of efforts can we make to hold people over until we can start the machine moving again? Mm -hmm. And what's usual about this, it's global. Yeah. It's not, it's not one country's problem. It's everyone's problem. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes the magnitude of it so daunting. Mm -hmm. When you um, think about just the response time, are there things like we talk all the time about um, maybe especially me because I started on the Hill on the Homeland Security Committee, the difference between a man-made and a natural disaster. And to me, part of the issue was the response time was so slow, like the uptick on like, oh, no, this is a crisis really going to impact a lot of us. There's a part of what we're experiencing that is man-made. So that's where it might be a little bit different than a tsunami or a hurricane would have even a terrorist attack, you know, in some, in some ways, because we were not responsive. And on time. Well, I don't know, because I think with sometimes with a, with a natural disaster, you have some forewarnings yeah. of a natural disaster. That's like true. the weatherman might say, if you look at Katrina, we knew the storm was That's coming. True. So I don't know that I, 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 I think we're in a moment right now. Blame doesn't work. Like the question mm. is, what do you do to get looking backwards? Isn't going to get us anything mm. at this moment. It's all forward looking. I think the $2 trillion stimulus that was passed, which is just so hard to even wrap your brain around what $2 trillion is and what this means. It's so, so huge. I think that's a down payment on, on this whole thing. I think that's not going to be the first stimulus bill that we see. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I think we could all talk about, was it too late? Was it too slow? All of those things. The question for me is now it doesn't matter. Mm. What do you do? Getting these checks in the hands of people as fast as possible is urgent, mm -hmm. urgent, because there's a long time between April 1st when they probably got their last paycheck. Some of them didn't get one before that. And April 21st or April 15th and the 21st when those first checks start to go out. Yeah. And so just thinking through those issues and then that's still not being enough. I was really, really, really pleased to see that the furloughed workers get their full pay for up to four months. That was genius. Yeah. Genius. Because that says we're going to let you, we're going to totally, totally tide you over until this whole thing wraps up. And so you don't have those jobs that are displaced. Because it's in the best interest of the company to furlough a worker versus to lay them off, mm -hmm. just for a very basic reason. Listen. You lay someone off, if they all if they have vacation pay, you have to pay it right back. Mm. If you furlough them, everything just is on hold. Yeah. You're, if you are husbanding cash, the last thing you want to do is start paying it out on things like that. So it also gives everyone a better chance of getting that job back. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that was a really smart move. So the Part. A lot of folks have, have made the point that this was, it's the first of what should be a series of stimulus packages. And I hear you making a similar point now. There was an article that came out in Politico yesterday talking about um, the rollout of the small business loan piece and how they anticipate banks are like, I don't even know if I want to get involved. Are you going to absolve me of any liability if that like folks submit one thing, but we didn't have time to vet it and it doesn't stand up. What are your, what are your thoughts about that? Are you, what are you advising small businesses to do? Or if, and if you were advising a bank, would you say you should be a lender in this program? And here's why would you say right now they need some more criteria in place to make this really work? What do you say to that? Well, obviously I have some visibility on this because I am the, on the board of a bank. But what I would say to you is very simple. This is really hard. Mm. I just want to tell you, like, you're talking about building the airplane while flying it. Yeah. You know, the airplane has 4 million pieces in it. This is really hard. So that's not to make any excuses. It's just to say there's an idea and getting the idea to reality in a system that is this complex with this many millions of people is a challenge. Mm. And I think everyone has the right intention, which is get people the money that they need in order to have the lifelines that they need. Mm -hmm. I think that is, th that's in all of our best interests, yeah. everyone. But at the same time, you've got to put some, some standards, some foundation around it that is, um, that is standardized across the banking system. You know, all these things, nothing has that that's being done in real time. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to give everyone a minute to, to digest, understand, and to, you know, get it done as fast as possible, but just understanding, you know, getting an idea and then rules and then policies, all of that. We're trying to do everything at once. Mm -hmm. Now, I know for that person who desperately needs the money, that does not sound reassuring. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, banks want the American economy working yeah. and growing. Yeah, it's, it's so it's so interesting because I think that um, so many banks and rightfully so caught a lot of flack for their role in the mortgage 
bubble bursting in that crisis. And so, like, I think I actually read the article and was like, this is comforting that they're thinking about that part. Like, what could this mean if we give someone money that they can't afford to pay back? Like, yes, we want to solve for the crisis, but we also want to make sure that people are viable and able to move through this. And I think to that point, um, one thing that I would love to go through with you is just like my personal stuff. And that's also, <laughs> it might be partially selfish, but I think it's, it's real. Like as a black woman, um, I'm a part of this cohort of the largest growing group of entrepreneurs in the country. I have my political consulting firm. I have my loan out court for my appearances. I have people on payroll and Melody, I'm scared. You know, like the clients are fine, like they're going to pay a retainer, but like I supplement my income with speeches and appearances. I had five canceled that first week. I have a payment due from a speech I did at the beginning of March that's not here. So like what happens um, or what do you advise um, those of us who are running our own businesses and are like, you learn in this moment, Melody, that... um, the commodity can't just be you showing right. up. Like it has, the people have been saying that to me, but this particular thing has resonated in where I'm like, I get that now. So I'm like, maybe I need to finish this book proposal. And like, <laughs> you know, like even, and even some of this content, like, yes, um, part of this is like, who do I, who have I always wanted to talk to, but we're too busy to sit down or haven't made the schedule where let's really do this. But the other part of it is like, how do I meet people where they're at, provide comfort, provide inspiration, provide knowledge. Um, so I'm trying to not lose my craft, like hone my craft and also make sure that like the people I look after are okay. My parents, um, you know, my godsons, my staff, like I'm a little worried. Like, what do you, what would you... <laughs> So here's the first thing. You've got to be realistic. Okay. I would sit down and look at the map and be super realistic about what have you bitten off and how much of it can you chew. The appearances will come back. They will. So the question to me is the lifeline you need to get from, from here to there. Mm-hmm. Look at what kind of savings you have. If you this, this will be a conversation if you haven't done it, but you will in the future as a business, making sure you have lines of credit in, ca- in place in case you need to draw them down. If you if you do have those lines of credit in place, I would draw them down now. Just in, have extra cash. You could pay it back later. Mm-hmm. But just to have that extra money that is there. I would be very realistic about my staffing and say, you know, if you want to preserve all of those staff members and, and have them uh, be there for you, everyone may take a temporary pay cut. Just to tie it because people are going to be grateful to have a job. The things that maybe you would have been shy about talking about before, Rome is burning. People do get it. So you say just we're all going to take a little bit less so that we all can get through this together. Mm-hmm. Those the kind of conversations that I think your team would appreciate because they might be wondering also, she has those five speeches got canceled and is she going to call one day and say she's laid us off or I would be or. If that is realistically something you're going to have to do, be direct with people about it mm-hmm. and maybe lay them off you for a little of them as well so that they can get the full financial benefit in filing that claim with the U.S. government, which will pay them their full salary for up to four months. Mm-hmm. So these are the things that I, they may not be there with you during that period, but at least they know that they would be taken care of. And that would be the honorable and smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. 
So I think that I would also be looking at from a budget perspective, what must you absolutely pay? Mm-hmm. Like it is not a nice to have. It is a need to have. You have to pay your mortgage or rent. You have to, your, if your parents are your expense, I would assume that they're like food is a non-negotiable. Their own housing and shelter may be something. Maybe there's healthcare related to them. Put all those must pay. Mm-hmm. Like we can't, I can't, I can't in any way streamline this down. Then what are all the nice to haves that you have? And you might have to get really, you know, the really sharpen your pencil mm-hmm. and everything from, you know, cable to, I don't know what, where you're starting to look at every dollar that goes out and say, I'm going to be reading more books or I'm going to be, this is the mode that we're in. Mm-hmm. Now, the good thing about our people, we know how to do this. Yeah. We really do. This is not some kind of shock to our system. You know, I, I know we know when we have to get scrappy, we know how to get scrappy. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's going to be that time. The times have been very good. So maybe our re- recession muscle hasn't been, um, yes. you know, uh, tuned up the way it needs to be. But it does make the point that that you've got to look at everything mm-hmm. and be realistic. Extreme stress testing. Assume the worst. Mm-hmm. Assume like we don't open on May 1st. Now, maybe we do. Assume it's July. You know, yeah. just assume something stresses and say, could I make it through? Mm-hmm. What is my plan A for it ends in May? Was my plan B? It ends in June. With my plan C? It ends in July. For my firm, we did seven stress tests. Wow. Seven different ones to say, these are all the scenarios that could play out from the most extreme good to the most extreme bad. And so that we're not just sitting with our head on our hands wondering what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So stress, go without any speeches for two months, three months, four months. What happens? Man. And what other opportunities do you have? And it may be a little unsettling, but you will be very settled when you can see the map. Yeah. And know what you're dealing with. Does that make sense? It makes sense. The look at ways are because I'm not comfortable. But, but also there are some other things you can do. You can call your bank. You can call your credit card company, mm-hmm. explain to them the situation you're in. Banks are understanding the problems with paying a mortgage or rent in these situations. Mm-hmm. Their credit card companies are understanding the situation. Some are doing, uh, allowing you to skip those payments, the minimum payments, you know, holding back on the mortgage, the student loan, whatever it might be, say, we understand and you'll make this up later. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is going to be for some people, if they've received no income and then they come back to a big load of debt, how are they going to deal with that? Let's cross that bridge when we get to it. Mm. So if you can on the front end negotiate some of these things, some states have implemented these no eviction standards. Yeah. The next 12 months, mm-hmm. you cannot be kicked out of your house. Yeah. Some states have said your, your utilities cannot be disconnected. These are all lifelines for people. And to the extent then you have to make up the payments, oftentimes you can renegotiate the terms, but you're going to have to get, you know, this is a hustle now. And I don't mean that in a negative way, like trying to get out of something, but it's going to be really, you know, trying to get people to take less, give you more time, et cetera. And since everyone has this situation, you're not a lone voice. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But work the system. I'd be on the phone with my bank, on the phone with my credit card company saying, I want to tell you right now, I've got a problem. Yeah. Wow. 
It's like, it's so funny because, or not funny, it's more like interesting because part of me feels like, like having to say that out loud, just it, it makes it real. And I think the worst thing is like how I've handled this stuff before, which is like not looking at it and thinking if I not look, if I don't look at it, it'll go away, which is never the case. But it's, it's part of like my own financial narrative. So Melody, for me, we grew up, I grew up, you know, my dad used to say we're well off. We were a middle class family. And um, I was the kid who had credit cards in high school. My dad, I know. <laughs> Your face is like, what? My no, dad. No, actually, it, I'll tell you what I think about. But go on. No, I can tell you what you I think about. You have had more than one. I had, I definitely had two. They were to my favorite stores. And my dad got them for me because he didn't want to take me shopping. So he's like, you go to the Limited and Express. It was the Limited and Express. And I remember thinking that they were like, I use them as gift cards, Melody, right? Like, I, wow. didn't, I didn't pay them. My dad paid them. So it was like my relationship with credit, with debt, was that it was a gift card. Like, I really kind of saw it that way until my dad's company went bankrupt. My car got repossessed because I had a brand new car in high school. Car got repossessed. Like, my phone was gone. Like, all of this stuff happened. And then it was about trying to um, reestablish an image of wealth without having the foundation of wealth to stand on, which is really the truth of the matter is that's what we always had, right? There was no real savings and cushion and this and that. Like my parents are renting their home. I'm going to get in all the family business, but they were renting their home. And like my mom was looking at a house. They were getting ready to buy because they were finally thinking they were going really well. And it was just like the carpet was snatched from under my dad. So then, you know, my mom got me a new car. You know, I didn't have credit cards, but as soon as I went to University of Washington, the first thing I did was run into the devils from Capital One and got a credit card. (laughs) But, you know, you just do these crazy things. Melody, to the point of when I was in church, and I've told students this, and they are, like, looking at me with all the judgment. It's fine. But went to church, was going to church, had my student loans, Melody, do you know that I used to pay tithes on my student for my student loan checks? Wow. <laughs> so again, like I did not, I did not have any concept for debt, like none whatsoever. And so I think now, um, I get it because I've seen like it's stacked and I'm like, Oh my God, like I have to right size this, but things have always happened where, like there's, you know, it comes through in the clutch. I know that it's it's almost like gambling. And what's so funny is my grandmother on my dad's side, she loved playing the slots. My dad loved playing the slots. So I won't play slots. Like I, I won't do gambling. But what the hell I'm doing is gambling. Do you know, like I know oh, the big thing, the big check is coming is wish money. I used to always tell my dad, I'm like, you're spending wish money. That's spending it before you have it. You know exactly how it's going to be spent before it gets there. I'm doing the same thing, basically, right? So I'm like, man, I have to change that narrative, but I can't change the narrative if I don't change how I'm living out the story. So I'm just listening to This you. is really interesting because you are the um, thing that I'm talking about. We learn all of our money habits from our parents. Yep. We don't learn about money and investing in school in America. Yeah. You could go to a high school today and take wood shop or auto and not a class on investing, yeah. which always leads me to ask people who's whittling. 
who's cleaning their own carburetor, yeah. right? No one. And yet you can take those classes, but not foundationally important class, uh, classes like this. That was my thing about being desperate to understand money. My mother, God bless her soul, would buy Easter dresses before she paid the light bill. Mm. Because there's a certain amount of posing that we have in our community. Oof, we want to look prosperous. And I have to tell you, my mom used to get really, really mad at me when I would go out and tell our story about what it was like growing up. She hated it. She's like, I can't believe you're doing this and saying this. And I said, that is my truth. It actually happened. Mm -hmm. And I spent all those years trying to pretend to people, oh, we just changed our phone number and this, that, and the other. And it was like, we were like barely making it a lot of the times. Wow. But we were starched and pressed. You know us. We'll iron, creases, the whole thing. And so you don't see it. But it's all there. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, these moments of truth financially, you can there's there's a, a fork in the road. You can keep going down the same path. You know, what is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Or these can be wake up calls. Mm -hmm. And these wake up calls can be life changing in such a way that is so affirming. Mm -hmm. Because I'm telling you, once you take the control, once you don't have the wish money mentality, yeah. once you actually have a mentality of I actually want savings in the bank. Mm -hmm. It is a game changer. Man. So when I was when I was first started working at Ariel, I had such money fear. So for example, I was so afraid that I wouldn't have a phone. If my phone bill would come and it was $50, I would send in 500. Wow. And so my whole theory was if I lose my job, I have 10 months of phone. Mm. Is that wow. I mean, that tells you a lot, right? Yeah. So all of those things, I would overpay everything because I was so concerned. Like if anything goes wrong, I bought an apartment my first year, my, when I was 24 years old and I paid it in three years, a 30 year mortgage wow. because I was so concerned about, I was like, if everything goes wrong, I just want to know I have a place to live. My 850 square foot one bedroom apartment mm -hmm. that to me was like a mansion mm -hmm. because I knew every day when I woke up, it was mine and nothing could happen to it. Mm -hmm. Those were the kind of things that once it was like, it was like just, it became addictive to me. Mm -hmm. Like every time it was a little bit more, a little bit more, I was like, I'm on firmer financial ground. I am more secure. And it's interesting because even right now I can tell you this is a horrible, horrible time. We're all in our homes. We're all locked down, hopefully. And um, obviously our healthcare providers and first responders are putting their lives at, at risk. And there are people who have to get up every day and take the bus or whatever it is and go to work and put themselves in harm's way. And as I told you before, I don't take that lightly. Mm -hmm. But for those of us who can be sitting in my house, I'm sitting in my house right now and I'm like, I have everything I need. Mm. Everything. Nothing is actually going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. That is very, very reassuring. Yeah. And that is something that I want to give to other people. And the only way to give that to them is to helping them to stop. So I'll give you one other example. When I started working at Ariel, I started doing something. It's one of my tips for people. Okay. I told you, like, what is your necessity versus your nice to have? Mm -hmm. I started to cut my paycheck into days. Mm -hmm. And so I would say anything I would go to buy, how many days does it take to make it? Okay. So every time, so it's like, if you took a vacation and you're like, that's 10 days of work, mm -hmm. it better really be worth it to you. Yeah. You know, it was clothing. If it was shoes, whatever it is, I was like, 
how much am I willing to give up my life and time for this? Mm. And it really started to make things matter in the context of what I was having to do to get it. Mm -hmm. And it's just another way of thinking about. So then when you would sometimes for people, credit cards are not real money. And we all know it is. We are more likely to know. We know. (laughs) I'm saying Um, now. (laughs) Some of us learn later than you, Melody. But yes, now we know. But it's one of those important things that then when you start thinking about like, is that worth it to me? Yeah. You know, is that worth all that hard work? Is that work all that sweat, uh, sweat equity? Um, it really does start to put things in perspective. Certain things you say, no, it's not. And other things you say, I'm going to save for that. Yeah. I told this story that, you know, I didn't have any furniture in my apartment. I graduated from college in 1991 and I had no furniture. So in my, uh, in 1996, I decided I was getting a sofa. Wait, you didn't have furniture for five years? Five years. So I had a slogan that was couch in 96. Oh. So I was just saving for a sofa that year. So I finally got a sofa. And I lived about 10 minutes away from my office. Uh-huh. And at lunchtime, I would just go visit it. Oh. <laughs> Melody, I love that. That is so, I was so, so excited. But I did. I wanted to buy it full price cash. I didn't want any kind of credit card debt or anything like that. And I wanted a really nice sofa. So at lunchtime, I would just go visit, sit on it, lie down, and then go back to work. Oh my gosh, I love this. And the the hardest thing is I'm sitting here like ridden with guilt because I'm like Melody's on this extreme, and I'm way. <laughs> The thing is, it's not about all depravity either. Yeah. It's about being smart. I mean, oftentimes I pull out my wallet and I show I have a green American Express card. People always think like, you have a green card? I'm like, yes. Why do I want to pay more than this? And I have an American Express because I like that I have to pay it off at the end of the month. So Melody, then I need another intervention because I definitely have the platinum one. And <laughs> But let me tell now, you, that may help you on travel and some other things. Like you can upgrade. On travel. That's the yeah, reference. But I had a conversation with someone. I'm gonna shout him out, and hopefully he's not shamed. William Clyburn, who is Congressman Clyburn's nephew, told me when I was starting my firm, he was like, Angela, you can't whip out no debit card when you're in this industry. Like you have to have a credit card, and it has to be a good one. I was like, oh, I can get a Platinum American Express. He's like, that's good. <laughs> So to me, the cost of the card every year, you recoup in like all the benefits from fine hotels or, you Correct. know, whatever the travel stuff is. You might disagree with me, but that's why I've had it. The problem is now the interest rate is high. I don't pay it off every month. And that interest rate is high. And the balance that I'm carrying on is high. So that's not good. In a, in a season like this, can you renegotiate interest rates on cards? You cannot, but the card rate should be coming down unless you have a checkered credit history. Because no, the Fed my credit like, my credit score is good. It's been good for the okay. last fifteen years. So you're probably going to see your interest rate come down some because the Federal Reserve dropped interest rates. Okay. Money is practically free. Yeah, it's called the Fed's funds rate. So right now, the amount of money that banks charge each other overnight is between zero and 0.25%. That rate does affect things like home equity line of credit, 
auto loans, it affects credit cards, not instantaneously, but those rates will start to come down. So you'll start to probably see a better interest rate on your credit card. Um, but you can also call the credit card company, especially if you have good credit, and ask if you can get a better rate. Okay. Um, if you're carrying a balance right now, and you and this is going to be very true for a lot of people, I would love you to pay off that whole amount every month. Not realistic in this environment. Yeah. At minimum, if you can, and if you can't, you're going to call your bank and tell them, at minimum, pay the minimum. Yeah. So that your credit score doesn't take a ding during this and then your interest rates go up. Yeah. So at minimum, pay the minimum. I don't like minimum payments because over time, it takes you years to pay off the debt, mm -hmm. years and years. But right now, Rome is burning, as I've said before. Pay the minimum. If you can't pay the minimum, get in front of it. Don't do that. I'm not looking at the bill and it's sitting there. Call the credit card company and say, here's my situation. Yeah. What can we do? Yeah. What about, because um, you brought up home equity lines of credit, what about um, refinancing homes in this climate? Is that good to do? You want to refinance for sure. Mortgage rates, they're not directly tied to the Fed funds rate, but they move directionally in the same place. And mortgage rates right now, a 30-year fixed rate or mortgage on average is somewhere around 3.2%. A 15-year is in the twos, the mid twos. You can, first of all, save a lot of money on your monthly payment. If you can refinance, that would be a very good idea. Very good. That's more money in your pocket right now. The other thing is um, if you're going to buy something, you know, if you look, you can look at buying it versus renting the, the, the affordability of a home to buy right now is pretty great. Mm -hmm. You know, a thousand dollar mortgage is somewhere in the neighborhood of a $200,000 house. Mm -hmm. So for a 30 year mortgage, that's very, that's very good. affordable. And that includes um, insurance and um, uh, some of the taxes that, that you have to pay. So that's all in a thousand dollars. That's, that's really, really, really affordable. So what about like worthy investments? Like right now it's, it's a really scary market. I know for me, my um, retirement plan took a little hit. Yeah. Um, so what about what, what should we be investing in or um, should we be investing in business ideas? Like, would you, would you encourage people who have um, extra capital around to invest in good businesses or do you like say, here are some stocks that you should be looking at? What do you suggest? So this is what I would say first and foremost, I think it's good that you brought up retirement because some people may have to lean on that retirement money to make ends meet. Absolutely. It's normally my money of last, last, last resort. I don't like people touching their retirement money at all. I mean, I always say you have to be on death's door, but we're at that point. Mm -hmm. And so there may be a situation where people will have to borrow from their 401k plans or, um, or, or take money out of an IRA, which has a lot of penalties and fees related to didn't cashing waive, in an IRA. Didn't they waive the IRA in this, in this bill? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. No, they waive the, you, you, the mandatory withdrawal when you're 70 and a half. Oh. Um, I think there's still the fees for withdrawal, but you know what? I, I'm not 100% sure on that one. Yeah, I, need, I um, might have read it wrong. It might have been, um, it might I know have been they waive that you do not have to take out the money. Yeah, I know that's one of the things that they weigh. Um, so what I would say just on that retirement piece, last, last, last resort. I mean, you're like, there is no option left yeah. before you go to that retirement money. But in terms of what I would invest in, I'd be really 
reticent of starting a business right now or investing in a friend's business in this environment mm -hmm. because we just don't know how long it's going to go and it might be rough. Um, <laughs> I joked to someone the other day, I said, unless it's a grocery store or a cleaning company, <laughs> it's like, I mean, those people are making money hand over fist. Yeah. Um, but what I would say is that I think that if you are willing to invest in the stock market right now, nibble a little bit at a time, the money that you invest in this market right now is going to pay off in big ways over the long term, because this is what we know. Mm -hmm. It's going to end. Mm -hmm. It will end. There is a there's a vaccination on the other side of this somewhere. Yeah. So even if we don't know when the world opens up, we know there will be a day probably before the next 12 months where we will get a shot for the coronavirus. Like yeah. we know that. So if I were going to make an investment and this is what we do at Ariel, we invest in publicly traded companies, the shares of companies that are either in the US or around the world. We say to ourselves, okay, look past this, this year, mm -hmm. five years from now, are people staying in hotels? Yes. Mm -hmm. Five years from now, we think people will take a cruise? Yes. Mm -hmm. Five years from now. Now, again, we have a long, long, long-term view. We're not rushing out and piling in. We're just like slowly but surely nibbling at some of these things mm -hmm. with our view of when things normalize, and they will, what will happen? Mm -hmm. Will you go to Madison Square Garden? Will you, you know, these are some of the things that we own. Yes. And so the question that you want to ask yourself, if you are thinking of investing, I'd start with, if I'm not an investor in a mutual fund where a professional is doing it for me, mm -hmm. I'm just putting a little bit in at a time. If there was a stock or something that you know a lot about in industry, that might be another way to go mm -hmm. as an example. Or maybe there's a product or service you like a lot and you say, I just understand this. Mm -hmm. And so therefore... You say maybe I should look at that business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's, um, you said that grocery stores and um, just like, right now cleaning yeah. companies. Oh yeah. So, but what about because the other things that are doing really well right now? Um, well, maybe not so surprisingly, but alcohol sales are up twenty yeah. percent, and cannabis cannabis stores are killing it. In California, like places where it's legal. Which is interesting because heretofore, that has not been a good investment, FYI. Mm -hmm. There was a whole sort of, there have been a lot of stories about, first of all, they popped up in a lot of places. It was supposed to get rid of the black economy. It hasn't. I know I hate that they call it black economy yeah. when it's bad. <laughs> but, you know, the underground. The underground, yeah. Right. Economy. And that didn't necessarily happen. So those people who started dispensaries, et cetera, in places like California where it started, they haven't done that great as an investment. Mm -hmm. Now I understand now there may be big surges because it gets delivered and things like that. It still has, you know, it's not federally, uh, uh, uh right. And so it has all sorts of issues related to it. Yeah. The only publicly traded cannabis stocks you can buy are the ones that are traded in Canada, not yeah. America. Yeah. So the alcohol companies have been super strong. There's yeah. no question about it. What about now, then, see, for me though, you want to buy things that are out of favor. That's already been rewarded. Mm. So in order to make money, you want to go where the puck is going to be, not where it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's already had it. Now I'm looking at things saying that what's in the ashes, where are those, where are those gems that are living in the ashes mm. that are going to rise up? 
and be great investments. Mm -hmm. You want to buy what's out of favor, misunderstood, ignored, underfollowed, has been thrown, left for dead, Mm -hmm. but you see that it has a future, Mm -hmm. not what has been super popular right now. Yeah. So I know folks are talking about, um, like they're starting to cancel subscriptions with, you know, what, what we see as premium services now, like Hulu, Netflix, um, even like their companies like Spotify title, they may be starting to lose, pre- lose premium subscribers. You sit on a board for a, a company that's just getting ready to have their big launch on Monday, Quibi. Do you all have any concerns about folks like, feeling like this is now a market of scarcity, even though they're at home, like they're sitting around. Some, one of my friends um, posted, they said, I've watched everything on Netflix. Like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you say to that? What do you think is, um, well, it's interesting because Netflix has held up fairly well mm-hmm. relative to how the market has done precisely because people are consuming a great deal of content. Yeah. We don't have numbers yet on, you know, cable subscriptions and things like that yet, but in earnings season, we'll start to see what's happening there. Um, what I would say is Quibi launches on Monday. And I think we think that people are going to want content. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we're very optimistic about the launch, but we were optimistic about the launch yeah. without a coronavirus, because we think we've done something that's very, very unique. And the, the it's called Quibi quick bites. Mm-hmm. Everything is less than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it actually works perfectly for people who are in their offices at home and they just want to break for a minute. I mean, if you're like me, you're just on the phone all day and just have a moment where you're not looking at CNN with, with coronavirus numbers and death toll, which is just so sad. You know, I think the idea that people may take a break or they're homeschooling their kids and they want 10 minutes to themselves. It'll be interesting to see how it works. Yeah. But overall, the consumption of content has been from everything we're hearing. Streaming, we are told, is up 30%. That makes sense. Um, and that makes total sense There's right no now. sports. <laughs> That's right. Like, There's no sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that, that, you know, you don't wish for this environment in any possible way. But I think... I think Quibi, Quibi is well positioned no matter what. Yeah. I think people will want the new things and we've got great, great, great content and it's worth the money. Um, and I think people feel the need. It's interesting. It's just like your alcohol point. Mm-hmm. I'm not an alcohol person, but I do think everyone feels like they deserve a treat. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, my, I have a little six year old and she likes to have hot chocolates every day and she likes six little marshmallows in her hot chocolate. Oh. It's the coffee. It's, it's not hot. It's cold. But anyway, she, um, we, we couldn't get marshmallows for weeks because the stores, like, I think any kind of treat has been sold out. Mm-hmm. So I think those treats are in streaming. Those treats are in mm. desserts. Those treats are in alcohol. I think people are looking for a little something to tie them over. Yeah. It's, it makes sense. It makes a ton and streaming, it will be one of them. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a ton of sense. Well, I'm going to have to um, definitely call you back and get on my business counseling. <laughs> I'm happy to do it. We will do a one-on-one. I will sit on the phone. I'll go through the whole Man. thing with you. There is a path forward. Yeah. There is. You just don't turn your back on the reality. Okay. You got to walk and face it head on. It will make everyone who works for you also feel better. Yeah. 
And, and then you'll know what you're dealing with. That's the most important thing. Don't let this thing sneak up on you. The more you can get in front of it, the better it's going to be. Yeah, that makes sense, Melody. Thank you for spending your birthday with me. I hope that Quibi has an amazing launch. That would be a great birthday present. <laughs> and um, I hope that you're able to at least toast hot chocolate today with six marshmallows. <laughs> And um, I owe you. This has been so informative. And you're great as always. So thank you so much. Anytime. Happy to do it. Lots of love. I'd be safe. For all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors. All we know is to fight. Pray. They see God in everything I write here. Yeah.